GameForge's In the Hunt, Season 4. Retooled, rearmed with more knowledge to help you reach your performance goals and your next level. In the Hunt members, mount up. It's time for the hunt. In the Hunt would like to introduce you to Spider Bracket. Detailed design and creating a mobile workstation. Spider Bracket Portable Productivity. Take it on the road or set up your home office. In countless combinations, set up the station for what you need to do to produce podcasts like this. Go to spiderbracket.com to learn more. Welcome to In the Hunt this week. This is Brian Bailey bringing you a new episode. Uh, we are here in September. I know in the Mid-Atlantic, finally fall showed up this week. It was 75 today. Beautiful outside. It's been a while. And of course, we're joined by Mark Sweeney, who's in Florida, and I'm sure fall has not shown up there yet. We do, we do not have a fall in Florida. I, thanks for thanks for reminding me of that. It'll it'll be hot here until November, and then it'll barely cool off November and December, and then it'll be really nice January to May, and then it'll go hot as hell again in June. So it goes from hot <laughs> to cool to hot to cool. And goes back no, to there's no seasonal leaves here that fall, except the uh, actually that's not true the. Um, the cypress, the, the cypress trees that are in the water, they lose all their leaves in the winter. That's all. Uh, that's it. <laughs> no golden brown <laughs> leaves falling anywhere <laughs> I've ever seen. No, no mountainsides on fire with with red and yellow leaves and gold leaves. No, hmm. no, definitely, <laughs> definitely none of that. <laughs> De- definitely another reason why I don't like living in Florida. That's why I like the Mid Atlantic. I like Four Seasons. Yeah, but, I do too, in theory. So, uh, yeah. Well, I don't mind cold. Cold's okay. I, I, I don't mind cold. I hate really, really cold and really, really hot. Uh, Mid-Atlantic, we, yeah. you know, this summer's been really hot. but uh, Really, really anything been, is too much. Yeah, we don't get very, very cold here. We get, you know, we get some snaps where it gets chilly, but we don't. And then we're in the, we kind of have the mountains protecting us from snow. The only time we get caught is with the nor'easter coming up the coastline. And we are in El Nino this year, so this typically is the the winter that we'll get blasted once or twice. We'll get a couple nor'easters coming up and get some cold air sitting in, and we have and no the occasional hurricane that and the occasional hurricane that passes from yeah. Florida to you. Well, we, we we have no protection from the south. It sounds like uh, the United States. I know. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> it just comes right up. There's nothing to stop it. Um, no, so uh, so. T- <laughs> So today's podcast, uh, we're going to talk about putting woes and some of the biggest putting issues. So, Mark, I will give the floor to you to kick it off. Oh, so it's on me, huh? Well, yeah, so uh, putting issues, yes. So I did a, um Instagram post where I just said, what's your biggest putting issues? And, and I'll make comments or aim point tips about it, whatever. And so I got some kind of standard ones and some kind of different ones. So... The, the the first one, well, knock out an easy one first. A number of people asked about what age you can start teaching, uh, reading, ugh, tart, start teaching green reading to. Um, I've done it seven or eight years old. And my answer there was kind of, you know, they, they understand it by eight years old, but they just don't care. You know, at that age, they're yeah. showing up and they're screwing around. Their parents brought them out and they're having fun outside, but they just don't really, they don't really kind of get it. So they're probably closer to 12, 13. You know, they, I mean, they get yeah. it, they know how to do it, but they don't really get like why they're doing it. So, so it's not a bad idea just to get them used to the process and feeling and being some kind of idea of what's going on. But, you know, at that age, that age, they just, they just don't care. Yeah. Well, my, that age, my experience. Just, at that age, just give them a putter and let them have fun. Let, let it be fun. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a yeah, give him a little idea break. Spend a lot more time on speed control is what I would say. For any new yeah. golfer, young golfer, I'd say, yeah, you can you can learn break, but your big misses are going to be speed misses, not read misses. And so the more you get them out there and playing speed games, I think the the better they become um, as they get older for sure. Yeah, and, and with the speed games, short and long, like don't, don't only have them at 60 feet working on speed, you know, go in at 10 feet, go to 20 feet, move them in and out. And just get them to under get them to learn to react and start to figure out what I need to do to move the ball differently um, is uh, really beneficial in the long run. But you know the data really shows you, and I hate to say this, we're both putting coaches. Uh, the data really shows that putting 
really, really gets important when you break 80. Up until yeah. about 80, putting's important. Like, you don't want to four-putt every hole. But assuming you put kind of what you should be as you're kind of climbing through the ranks, putting is less important to train and understand uh, opposed to controlling the golf ball a little bit better and, and getting it to the green faster. So I think inside of the data science side with, with GameForge, I think the one part that really jumped out at me is it's basically four or five shots to one for every shot of improvement on the putting green. Usually four to five shots come with kind of getting it to the green. So again, you know, I would say, I hate to say this, ball striking is about four times more important than putting until you get when to, learning, once you start, yeah. yeah. And then, but once you get under 80, it all changes. Putting becomes ultra important. And I think, you know, that was kind of a question for me and you we had is why do college players not put nearly as well as tour players? Uh, because kind of in that pantheon of learning, they've, they've, you know, they've been playing golf for 10 years and a disproportion of their training was full swing and get it to the green faster. And, and that kind of, you know, training, so I think a lot of that gap for co collegians, again, is just you're kind of, you know, you're starting to shoot that mid to low 70s, a college player. That's kind of where the putting has to get better. So as a junior, could you learn it a little bit er earlier? Yes. As a collegian, to understand that you can get better at it and you need to get better to play professionally. But that's kind of what the curve looks like, which I thought, which was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's very, it's very interesting, especially considering a, a lot of coaches and programs will say start the green and work back. Um, well, I, and I, you know, I've worked with, a, have done corporate events where 90% of the people there have never touched a golf club and, you know, you spend 15 minutes on speed control with a putter and they can actually go two putt as a scramble, especially they can, you know, two putt yeah. almost every green. Um, but the issue is they can't get, they get to the green in par, take some four shots to get to the green yeah. because it's chunk top, chunk top, chunk top, chunk top. Finally, you're on the green, yep. you got a 30 footer and you two putt it, sometimes three putt it. But the problem is getting to the green, not getting off the green. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think for, you know, back to the question of the, of, of the how young, you know, I, I think again, you, it, it really would depend on the player, but, uh, you know, just getting them to understand that golf's fun, golf's a game, teaching a, you know, some just basic slope value markers. And then, like I said, as they progress, and as they start to, when their skills start matching what they need, and that read is a big skill that you have to understand, you can start backfilling it. Because again, I think if you give it to them too early, they're not going to take enough out of it. Uh, so again, I think you just got to understand what your your son or daughter needs, and then kind of facilitate from there. Yep, cool. Well, that's God, that's that a, one, I think. That sounded like a Gareth McShay answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and there, I mean, you definitely want to slowly get people into understanding putting mechanics and definitely speed because I, you know, it's scary how many college players I've seen who have horrific mechanics. You know, yeah, a lot of times and... I'm just like, how did you get this far with nobody ever addressing your putting mechanics? Now, you don't see too many tour players I hit it. with bad mechanics, but you see a lot of Because I hit it really, players. really well. <laughs> they hit it really, really well, but you see a lot of college players with their mechanics, you're like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. like they're getting the green on yeah, time, but mechanics? they're not one putting a whole lot. So, yeah, I think anyway. that's kind of the funny part. Like, yeah, I think with us, I think a lot of people get a rub off of us is we, we don't talk mechanics very often. You know, mechanics are our piece. Like being able to physically control the putter is an important skill and you've got to learn how to do that. But I think in, you know, kind of where Mark and I both, when we talk on this a lot, we don't talk a lot of technique just on the sheer fact that usually yeah, there's, there's the outlier college player that's got just some funky move, but most of them, traditionally have a fairly repeatable stroke. So, you know, for the high end player that that understanding read and understanding speed can be the really big piece. But again, you know, we we don't talk about technique much here, but it is it's imperative that you can physically move the putter and return the putter face relatively square to where you're at. Planning on starting. I'm not going to say aim. At, <laughs> not where you're aiming, can't work. So, so you can re return your putter face relatively square to where you plan on starting in the ball. And if you can do that successfully, then your stroke is a good stroke. Now, it might look a little quirky. You might have some funny moving parts. But if you can do that, you know, at a high percentage of the time, that's a good putting stroke. Um, so, again, we don't, we don't talk a lot of uh, 
technique on side of this. That is a huge piece. But again, you know, like I said, for that for that young player, just getting them to move the putter, get them to understand how to control distance, bigger strokes, uh, changing you know stroke length and time, and that those components that make fun games of it. Uh, you, you'll give them the uh, cornerstones to really build a really good putting, uh, kind of good foundation for the future. They can start to understand, I can move the putter differently in length and time, and I can make the ball do different things. That, that's a cornerstone that they will never forget for the rest of their life. And then those will be the players later in life that will man, he's got really good feel, or she can really, she can really dial in her distances. Well, because at a young age, she figured out how to, how to do it. And it, it's not rocket science. Uh, but still it's a skill that needs to be taught and understood. So yes, we believe yeah. in technique. <laughs> and that being said, <laughs> that being said, I was about to move on from this, but I'm not going to move on yet. What I've know, what I've seen is that people go 15 years with meh technique. It is really hard to change it when they get older. I mean, really, really hard. Yeah, you, you build a you build a motor pattern. There there's there's the danger, right? If you yeah, if you build a bad motor pattern, you you own a bad motor pattern. Now you have to rebuild a motor pattern, which yeah, I don't know. You can listen to the smart people on inside of the sciences, and some say you can do it, and some say it never really goes. You can just kind of cover manage it up a majority it. of the time. Yeah, yeah, you can manage it and things like that. So I think there's always that component of. Uh, kind of give and take with that like but again you don't want to you know your your 10 year old kid to be with a hook around his head and arms tied and a rope and then they're trying to do all these mechanically things so again there's a give and the take so yes yeah, so the key is the key is again it's it's don't go extreme anyways like don't ignore like when i was with my son when we were kind of working through we're starting to get into putting more now in the beginning we just made it functional here's what the grip relatively looks like here's what needs to move you know lower body's not moving it's more upper body it's a you know it's going to be a little blend of arms and chest and just let them kind of figure that out uh you'll do no damage there but yeah you got to be careful if you if you get quirky in the beginning and you're quirky for 15 years i hate to tell you you're going to have a little touch of quirk in there (laughs) you're going to be a little quirky the rest of your golf career that quirk will show its face consistently not all the time but consistently well Keep yeah, and it'll emerging. definitely show its it'll show its face every time that pressure is on you, because we as human beings love to revert back to our mean. Uh, so if you if you uh you thought the only way you know you've really eradicated a motor pattern is when all the pressure in the world is on you and you don't perform that pattern that you were trying to get rid of, because pr- pretty much you see with uh, we saw this in college all the time. We'd work with players, you know. So kind of the college season, you come in, fall starts immediately. There's no training. It's just play, get ready, go, go, go. Then you kind of have a little off season from, you know, November until February. So you get to work with the players and kind of start moving some pieces. And then you work so hard in that off season, you think you've really made these huge gains. And then, you know, the second event in, they're on the pressure situation. They have to get up and down. You've been working on getting up and down from this lie condition for four months. And then all of a sudden they're in that position and they got to get up and down for the team to win. And yeah, everything we worked in the last four months, that ain't there. You know, it's the, woo, whatever they were doing up until that point, you're just like, yep. oh, don't own it yet. So, yeah. So, so, so you don't want to, again, you don't want to be an extreme. You don't want to be so far out that you can never bring it back. Uh, and if you are so far out and you are performing, then I just say you're just one of those that it, that's just do it a little bit different. Awesome. All right, moving on. Next, next one uh, question that came up a couple times was straight putts uh, or straightish putts and how they're hard to read. And, and I will tell you, with better players, after they learn aim point, the second lesson, what they always come back with is, okay, I got it. But the really subtle ones are the struggle. You know, the eight footers are they left edge, right edge, or straight? Um, yeah. And and I get it because you rarely miss those by much at all. But you're burning edges and driving you mad and. And those, if you just look at them, they can be really, really deceptive because they might look very, very straight and they're not very, very straight. And the, the straighter yeah. they are, the more susceptible they are to optical illusions with the surrounding terrain and mounds and hills and valleys and lakes and rivers. And not that they're getting pulled by them, but it, it uh, confuses you visually. And then, you know, the other thing is straight putts are more susceptible or very susceptible to uh, wind and grain. 
So, and we'll talk about yep. grain in a second, but you know, basically with the, the short putts there, you rarely, not short putts, straight putts. You rarely get a situation where it's just zero, 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 zero. You just can't find anything. You know, if you're longer than seven, yeah. eight feet, there's usually a little something in there. Uh, and so you'll see the guys, you know, exploring a little bit. If you know your first field is zero and your second field is zero and, the, zero, and then they go a little deeper into the putt towards the hole, say, is it moving at the holes and not moving at the hole? Um, sometimes there's just nothing in it. That's true. But more often than not, you find a little something. And what people need to realize that even, even if it's only a half a percent, by the time you're at eight, nine, 10 feet, if you don't play break, you're missing the hole. And a half a percent yeah. is 0 0.3 degrees. And that's enough to miss the hole at eight or nine feet. Um, if you're playing it straight when it really should be edgy or even a nudge outside the edge. So yeah, yeah. they're tough because you've got to find out, is there anything or not? And you're, and you're trying to either feel a minuscule amount of slope or saying there's some external forces like wind or grain that's going to move this ball offline a little bit. Yeah, and I know speaking personally from I, I'm living, you know, I'm in Charlottesville, Virginia, so we're pretty mountainous. Uh, you know, most of our greens, you don't we don't get very flat greens. Um, so for me to find a straight putt and believe it's going to be straight is a challenge because <laughs> yeah. I, I see slope so much that I I really have I really struggle going, man, this thing's straight up the hill. And I'm like, but is it really? <laughs> is it yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. So I think. So I think the mountains give us a, come of that that little bit, but I would also go back to technique. Again, the hardest part of a straight putt is if you're truly on, you know, the zero line, fall line for all you golf nerds out there that think everything's got these long straight lines. We'll call it a fall line. So if you're on a fall line, you got you got face issues, and you push it or pull it off that straight line, you inter, you introduce a break dynamic, right? Because you're yeah, no longer going up, straight, up, right? Yeah, so so now you've introduced a break dynamic, so there's no chance of making it. So I always, you know, when I look at players and they go, "What's the best putt to have?" I'm for me, I, it's uphill, half to one percent, uh, right to left. You put me in that, I'm salivating. I think that yeah. putt to me is just, yeah. you know. So so again, I think that that key concept again is straight putts aren't nearly as easy. I think as one percent's coming off, you know, coming just off a of straight and uh you know it's it's like golf you don't hit straight balls very often you don't ever see straight putts very often but when you do you just got to understand that you better you know, they straight. are straight they, they are straight and you just have to hit them straight you've got to believe again that your feel and what you've trained up to that point is right but yeah, yeah. it's it's hard to believe straight because you just don't see it very often no and the other thing people don't get is just because you aim straight doesn't mean it's straight so by the time you get to eight or nine or 10 feet at the most, even if, if you, even if you have to aim straight, usually the fall line is curving a little bit at that point, which then, then is where we differentiate the fall line from a zero line. And you get these little subtle yeah. double breakers where they can be really yeah. tough to pick up. No, I agree. I think, yeah, I think again, straight putts to me is I, I don't ever like to see straight. I like to see just slight little turns right. that those make me much happier. Well, straight, I do, what I like straight for is practicing your face at impact. So you do your, your straight yeah. uphill putt at eight feet. And if you're, if you're one degree off, you're missing the hole. So it really forces you, yep. you know, because it exaggerates the miss. And so I do like that for an, for a um, face at impact drill. But if I'm out there playing for money, that is not the putt yeah. I want. <laughs> and, and I got to tell people to be very careful with uh, a lot of those yardage book companies and the green mapping companies. They, I have seen where a whole position on a certain green has eight straight putts into it. Not happening. <laughs> yeah. Four would be a lot. I can, I can get, you can get away with four on certain situations, but two yeah, sitting on top of it. a big hump, maybe right on top of a perfectly yeah. centered over a crown. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I've literally seen people hand me their putting and I'm like, so this pin right here has eight straight putts. Tell yeah, me how that works for you. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, it's, it's kind of, yeah, maybe it's sitting down in the perfectly in the middle of a, of a well-centered saddle. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. It still, it still wouldn't be eight straight putts. <laughs> no, you wouldn't find eight. You could find four, but you wouldn't find eight. You can find four-ish. <laughs> four-ish. Ish. Maybe. So, uh, yeah, no, I think uh, – yeah, yeah. Like for training purposes, straight putts are key. 
Uh, that's probably my number one favorite drill is I put a player, if they think they have a face issue, like I can't control start line, I put them about eight feet. I put a black dot or a sticker right in the center of the cup and say, there's our goal. Let's see how many we can roll over the sticker. And as long as they're finding the cup, I know that their face is within a degree. So a good amateur, that's a pretty good number. If you want to play professionally, we got to be a little bit tighter than that. We want to get it yeah. down under one, pushing a half. So kind of, you know, hitting center, a little bit off the center. Uh, But again, just understanding that is a great way to train face. To me, it's my number one go-to. Eight feet, hit it at the hole, because we're going to be delivering it hopefully about two feet past. It's going to work like a 10-foot putt. And then are we able to basically capture the cup? And again, if we can capture the cup, that means face is good enough at one degree or better. And then can we be, you know... Playing professionally, we're going to tighten that up a little bit. But but to me, that's the best training piece. You can get on a bunch of equipment that tells you if you hit it straight or not, but find that straight putt, just sit out there and roll it. And if you do that just a couple times you know, throughout the month, just make sure that my start lines are good. You can just check, check start lines are good. Yeah, I don't have to fixate on it. I don't have to go drop a flag stick while I'm playing and think my face is you know, all of a sudden bad. Um, it's just a really good way to maintain and understand – performance-wise, what's expected. Right. And back to the green reading piece, if you do that drill and you're seven, eight, nine feet below the hole and you're working your way down trying to find straight, you end up with these little breakers and you only got to move six inches left or right. And that breaker becomes dead straight again, doesn't it? Yep. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. four or five. Literally, it's like, yeah, line. literally it's like roll the ball once or twice and you the whole break dynamic just changed. Absolutely changes. There's a very <laughs> fine line on most most holes where it's actually straight. A very very small little narrow yeah. line, a couple inches wide probably. That's about it. And and a and a PSA for coaches and players: when you snap a chalk line, make sure the putts are <laughs> <effing> straight. <laughs> do you know how many? Do you know how many times? There's nothing more annoying than ah. Oh. Collegiately, it was a it was a train wreck. We would go to the putting green, and you're like, "Oh, someone snapped the line," and you'd roll one or two, and it'd break like three, four inches. And you're like, "I don't know if this person was training, but it was not a straight face. You're like they're pulling it, <laughs> they're pulling oh. it four inches left, and basically make this putt." <laughs> oh yeah, I've a, a Jamie. And then, and you, start, story. And then you, yeah. Start, yeah, you start, hitting it down the line. You make a little valley so it'll kind of roll through this ridge. It's like ah. Uh, yeah, that yeah, those snapping a chalk line can be dangerous. The minute the wind blows, it's wrong. If you put it even a little yeah. bit in the wrong place, you've screwed your player now because now you can't hit it on that line. Like you've got to be so precise. So yeah. I don't like chalk lines. I much prefer elevated lines because you can just pick them up and move them if you need to. Yeah. That's like I said, that's why I like eight feet. Can you hit the center of the cup ish? That's good enough. Next. Yeah. <laughs> Keep the ball inside the edges. You're good. You're good. Yeah, Hold but on. the chalk lines, man. Uh I saw some crazy ones in college. Like we would just be like, don't even, just don't even look at that one. Like, oh, I, just... I was, a, I was at the masters a couple of years ago and, and we were out in the morning and, and I saw this chalk line and I'm like, that's, I remember that being straight to that hole. It was on the tournament putting green over there by the big range. And I remember yeah. going, I, I know where this green slopes and I don't know why they think that's straight there. And sure enough, I rolled the ball on, and it was breaking. I'm just like, what in the actual heck is going on here? And those are the masters. I, I want to see the capture speed on that baby. <laughs> yeah. Smoking it in the hole. <laughs> I want to see the capture speed on that one. Nothing breaks but the speed of light. Fun. Yeah, that's right. All right. Next, next topic, which is a beaut. So I saved it for last came up several oh times somebody already called me out on it on my response so the question is uh grain right here we go um grain is a such a hot topic oh my god because people don't people are so like like i don't know i don't know i don't know what the right word is um about grain grain is very manageable if you understand it most people don't understand grain and i got a bad rap for Years and years, people said, oh, I'm not – I had people refuse to use aim points. They're like, you think grain doesn't exist. I'm like, I never said grain doesn't exist. I don't know where you got that from. Somebody was spreading that rumor out there, and so there's literally good players who's like, I will not learn aim point because they say grain has no effect. And I'm like, I've never, ever said grain had no effect. I said it's maybe not the effect you think it is, but I've never, ever said yeah. it had no effect, and it's measurable, it's reproducible – um, you, I can explain the situation, go find the situation on a putting green and have the ball do exactly what it's supposed to do relative to what the slope tells you it should do. 
Um, but uh, having said that, I, I don't think I've ever met a tour player in my life who could explain cleanly what the effect was of grain. You know, they're like, well, the grain's going to the right, ball should go to the right. Maybe. I mean, generally, <laughs> generally, maybe. <laughs> not always. Yeah. Definitely not always. Uh, grain generally goes downhill, but not always downhill. Sometimes it goes dead cross hill when it's flat. Um, yep. 1% or less, it can go dead dead uphill on a 1% or less slope. The bigger the slope is, the more likely it is to line up with the slope. And it always doesn't go directly downhill. So it goes downhill direction, but not exactly with the slope. And that's where you have other problems uh, jump in there with people just don't get. Um, so the, yeah. first, the first primary question is how much do you add for grain? Uphill, downhill, side grain. <laughs> what kind of grain? Well, that, what I mean, are we that's talking a, about? That's a good. That's <laughs> that's the right question. What kind of grain are we talking? <laughs> what about? are we talking about? If you're uphill into the grain, so essentially, the basic grain effects is uphill downhill have very different effective stems. Right. So, so yep. I, we measure this and and calculate this in at Capalou one year at the Mercedes, the formerly known as the Mercedes Championship, and uh, downhill putts on grain were about two and a half feet faster on the stem than uphill grain. It, after you eliminated the effect of the slope. So downhill wasn't faster yeah. because of the slope. If you, the effective stimp regard without, without considering this, the uphill downhill was two and a half feet faster. So it'd be like if you had a carpet that was two and a half feet faster than the other way. Now add yeah. tilt to that. Now, now the downhills feel five feet faster than the uphills on heavy grain. Yeah. Hawaii and, and Maui is particularly heavy grain. It's, you know, it's hot, big, thick blades, even even at fast speeds, the grain's pretty heavy out there. So, so you have a very big effective stimp up grain, down grain, which obviously at any point we manage with arm bend. No big shocker there. So the next question, which I'll throw to you, Brian, is cross grain, because that's yeah. what people always freak out when they have a cross grain putt. Let's say it's supposed to, you know, I'll just have a cross cross hill putt 10 feet. What's, yeah. what's the issue? Well, well, the beauty of cross grain is if I'm coming across the grain, half of my putt is probably going to be into the grain, and then half of my putt will be with the grain. So on a cross grain putt, it is relatively muted. Um, so again, you know, so when we're kind of going across the grain, it's not a real big deal. We're getting we're getting some uphill into the grain, and we're going downhill with the grain. So. I think the the effects of of uh, grain are really kind of muted on cross hill. Now we do get some outliers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very it's muted. You know what I will say: cross hill is the last six inches. The ball peels really hard down grain, right? So the last on yeah. Bermuda grass, the last the last one roll of the putt can just shave right in front of the hole, which is why we want to keep our speed up at least six inches past the hole to take that out of it. Well, that but is, actually that gets back to our capture speed. Yeah. Yeah, capture. Yeah, exactly. So that's one of the reasons why you one, but not the only reason why you want at least six inches past the hole. Um, yep. If you properly did a study of what's the actual effect of grain, which I've never seen anybody in my life do, you'd have to get a uh, let's say a bent grass green and a Bermuda grass green that are running the exact same same stems. So let's say they're both running stem ten, exactly the same stem, on exactly the same slope, on exactly the same distance. And then say, how much more break do you get on the Bermuda than you do on the bent? But they'd have to be the exact same slope, exact same distance, exact same um, green speed. Uh, good luck with that. Yeah. Uh, like, good luck. Like, like you literally would have to get a platform and, and sod it and then tilt the platform right next to each other. And it's it's spectacularly difficult to actually pull that off. Um, I looked into it 15 years ago, and I'm like, this is, this is just too hard. I'm just not going to bother. There's no point in bothering. So... Yeah, a little, a little secret most people don't know about about Aimpoint on TV. You know, we were on TV for six years, uh, and we did Bermuda. We did we did the whole Gulf Coast, Florida swing, Hawaii. You know, everywhere where you've got Bermuda grass. Um, I rarely ever factored in grain. Rarely, yeah. rarely, rarely. The biggest factor was you'd have to change the effect of stimp downhill versus uphill in Kapalua. You'd have to you'd literally have to change the stimp you're using to make it work. But other than that, it was rarely an issue. And that line was well, two I think, inches wide. Yeah. The line was two inches wide. So I had a two inch margin of error. So yeah, it might've been less than two inch, might've been an inch, inch and a half of effect, but you couldn't see it on TV. 
Yeah. Well, I, th- I think grain and, and going, we'll, we'll talk about where grain will bite you in a second, but grain, I think more than anything, it's, it's the myth. It's the story of grain, right? Yeah. Gra- you know, the grass chases the sun throughout the day that pulls, it. you know, that, yeah, yeah, exactly that, you know, you know, right. to me, the mythology of grain is where everybody gets confused. It's not real. Like, you know, if you understand, again, kind of your, your basis, basic thesis in the beginning, if you understand grain and you understand the dynamics of what it's doing, you can anticipate what it's going to do and it's going to break like it's supposed to. So right. the problem is, is we got people saying that, well, every, all of this is going to be chasing the sun or it's everything's going to be or chasing Ray's Creek or you know, whatever the whatever the myth is about where the grass is growing is is so that really the the biggest issue with Bermuda is the fact that people think they know what Bermuda is because this big story has been told to them their whole life and it's not what the grass is actually doing. Yeah. And, and so we go back to concepts. So if you have bad concepts, you're kind of screwed from the start. And if you think Bermuda grass changes the direction during the day, you're screwed. Right, Bagger Vance goes That's, one way in the morning, another way in the afternoon. That is uh, Bermuda no, is a patchy, nasty little grass. It is not chasing anything. It's not chasing anything. I've got. I, while we're talking, I'm going to pull. I just saw it. I'm going to pull up a picture of Bermuda grass roots, and you're going to go, okay, that's not moving. I've done time lapses of Bermuda yeah. for the whole day. It doesn't budge. Um, I asked a no, guy it's... who was a plant pathologist who genetically engineers grasses, uh, golf course grasses. And I said, it was at, it was in the masters one year. And I said, does grain follow the sun? And he looked at me and literally laughed in my face. Like he literally burst out <laughs> laughing. I was like, is that funny? He's like, he's like, are you being serious? I go, yeah, I'm being serious. Everybody you know, everybody on TV says grain follows the sun. He just, he just laughs. He's like, no, he goes, it's not phototropic, which is the word for things that follow the sun. He goes, yeah. the grass is not phototropic. It does not follow the sun period. End of story. All of you announcers who say that, you need to stop saying that. Just saying. Um, all right. Hey, those of you watching this on video, I just pulled up a picture and shared what the root system of Bermuda grass looks like down two or three inches. Um, look yeah. how thick that those roots are. You're telling me those are changing Man. during the day? No freaking chance. <laughs> no chance at all. So I'm not uh, believing you. I, yeah, I heard Jim Nance say it. <laughs> Grain always. I did. I did a. I did a. Um, a study in Kapalua, um, at Mercedes. The same year I did the one where we were. You know, I calculated the difference between uphill and downhill, and it was grain direction. And 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 you know, and Kapalua is pretty steep on the greens. And what you find is the grain grows wherever the slope goes. And there was one green out there. I think fifteen. I fifteen or sixteen. I went out on, and I got at least five different compass directions. The grain went. Guess what? They all went downhill. So you can go on, yeah. you can go on a green with ch- changing slopes, and you're going to find that grain going all kinds of different compass directions. Yeah, and, and that and I, I think the practical purpose is like what could what could you teach someone that maybe lives in the north and is going to go down and play golf in in Florida? When when do you really got to put your spidey senses up for Bermuda? Like when do you really need to pay attention to grain uh, yeah. as a as a general rule? So, so there's only two things that change the number of your slope when you're doing aim points, wind and grain. And w- grain can change your number, but everybody gets backwards. You don't add a number. You don't add slope for cross for grain going with the slope. You subtract from your number when grain's going opposite the slope. So how much you subtract depends how heavy the grain is. I've seen it everything from 0.5 to 2. Super heavy grain, it's actually yeah. can two whole numbers. So you so the what you generally will see, which drive people mad is, they get a slope that they see or feel break on and the ball goes dead straight. Well, that's because grains go in the opposite, opposite your break direction, or they have a straight yeah. putt where they feel slope. You can measure zero slope with a level and it breaks outside the hole because of cross grain, yeah. right? So it's yeah. a straightening effect. Zero can become a breaking putt. A breaking cut putt can become zero and everything in between. But then when you get out to the situation where grains going the same direction as the slope, there's no adjustment we make. Yeah. And and that's kind of my general rule. Yeah. That's kind of the general when I, when I have people that are like juniors that are getting ready to go play in Florida and they never, and they're like grain, grain. I'm like, grain is, you know, if it's downhill down grain, it's going to want to roll more. If it's uphill into the grain, it's, you know, it's going to want to check. So that's a speed factor. 
I said, you'll, you'll figure that out on the putting green. Just go practice some downhillers, down grain, uphillers into the grain and see what it does to the ball. But I said, the one part you really got to check is when the green gets flat. I usually say when the green tilts and starts getting flat, they're going to probably start going the other way. Kind of yeah. in that flat zone, pay attention. Because that's yeah, where that's we where you in, get in the States. That's where you get the weirdest grain issues where you're going across a, uh, um, a ridge, yeah. uh, not a ridge, a um, crown, and the grain yep. turns – doesn't always turn at the top of the crown. It can turn down the side. So you get the pin, the pin they usually put on one side or the other, and you can get slope right and grain left. And then th- yep. those are the ones where you're like, how in the world is this putt not break? This putt's supposed to break yeah. six inches and it broke two. Yeah. So that most of my athletes, I'm like, just pay attention to when it, when you start to see that, when it starts getting really flat, start paying attention to grain is much more important than yeah. 60 feet away. Grain is, much less of a situation than, yeah, than kind of a six footer that, that might have that little, yeah, you, you got a more of a ball striking issue that day. But I think again, I, grain is just a, I think it's just the mythology of grain is the biggest setback. Cause when you actually show people, you know, if you've ever been to a, a higher level aim point class where, or seen Mark teach where he actually goes ahead and shows you kind of the pie that it sits in and here's the angle. It makes perfect sense. So if you're a, a really high end athlete, go find Mark Sweeney or go find a, a, a high level aim point instructor and they can really unravel that the myth and, and some of the craziness wrapped around uh, grain. Cause it's, yeah, like, you know, I've, you know, being a college coach, man, you hear other people talking, they're like, well, it's gotta go this way. No. <laughs> you know, what, what we there, what we've learned what we've learned to do in teaching any point for 15 years is ball doesn't always have to do what you think it has to do. If you get all yeah. if you get all the variables correct, it will. But if you think it's yep. gotta go left because the water's to the left, then you know, not so much. Uh, it's back into your concept and myths. Ball That's like mythology. Thor. Yeah. Thor's hammer did that. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty simple. Ball will follow gravity, but it can be um, influenced by wind and grain. Boom. So what's yep. the what's the effect of wind and grain? It's the same as, well, I've got a 150-yard shot, but I'm 10 yards uphill and five miles an hour of wind downwind. Well, what's the net result? Well, green ring's the same. And usually wind is not that big of a deal. And on Bermuda, yeah. it, can, it can affect it, but only in certain situations and not in other situations. So if you can differentiate those, which is not hard to do, um, becomes very manageable and it'll give you a massive, huge competitive advantage because most people don't get it. Yeah. And like you said, most tour players figure it out, but they don't know why. Yeah. They instinctively been on this putt enough. And I know when I do this, it does that. Yeah. They're instinctively yeah. looking at looking at the burn of the cup and and following that to some degree and making adjustments on that. But but they can't explain to you the the formula. But what's the solution? Well, yeah. I'm on a I'm on a half percent slope to the left. I have grain going to the right. Well, what's the net result? And that's it's not a hard calculation. It's not even a calculation, but it's it's an adjustment. But um, very few people understand that. Yeah, and then you know, just to really piss you off, uh, you said yeah, too many not? variables. Not that, said. not that I don't. Piss you said you off grain off enough day to day. <laughs> what bring about it, wind? Bring it. Bring it. Uh, what about wind? Wind is wind is the hardest. I'll tell you why wind is the hardest because the, the effect of wind is a function of not only wind speed, but wind direction relative to the slope. So, you know, and relative to the break. So, you know, you can have 90 degree crosswind. Um, you know, that that's about a 1% change at 10 miles an hour of wind, which is our guideline, but it, it changes with green speed right? Wind has, has a bigger effect on faster greens and slower greens because it's affecting the ball for a longer period of time. So it's an accelerant. And the longer the ball's rolling, the more wind's going to be like, pushing on it. Um, but what do you do? You're, you know, you have an uphill putt breaking right to left and you have a 30 degree, seven mile an hour wind off your left side at 45 degrees. Well, you go, yeah. straighten it a little bit. How much? <laughs> now we got to start backing out angles and we know what the maximum effect is but now we got to back out the angle and it kind of it can be a lot and the wind is shifting direction and gusting up and down and so you know that's i've been asked about a zillion times and you can give guidelines but it's just you know grain lays the way it lays and has the effect it has it's not changing 
It's not changing during the day. Yeah. It'll change maybe after they mow it or roll it or whatever. But you know, during your round, it's pretty much the same effect, and wind can be all over the planet. Yeah, wind wind is a is a bear just because again, especially on a gusty, you're standing there and there's nothing, and then all of a sudden, you know, so a steady wind. Yeah, a steady wind. You can at least make calculations and kind of come up with a, a game plan, saying I need to add this throughout the day. But you know, yeah. but yeah, you throw in gusts and. And then well, I, I can tell I you, where, yeah, I, I can tell you when um, I did uh, t- when I was on did the Golf Channel Aim Point Line, the first tournament we ever did was Capital was Mercedes and Kapalua and this pounding wind out there, and I didn't have a grain function, I mean a wind function, so I'm like, oh crap. So we just, you know, there there were some lines that weren't great because the wind was blowing, was blowing thirty, but it was blowing ten ish, and that's affecting the putt. So eventually, I got a, a wind calculation in there, and I can tell you. Without a shadow of a doubt, a steady wind at 25 miles an hour is easier to deal with than a, a wind gusting between five and 15. Just steady, yeah. steady as a piece of cake. I got the steady wind all day, no problem. Up and down, up and down, up and down. That was a bear. Yeah. And, and I, I, I can be a testament to uh, we played the national championship when it got called one year for wind because the Porter John was going end over end down the middle of the fairway. Might have been a, a precursor to saying there might be a little too much wind today. Uh, yeah, but we were getting wind, we we were getting steady winds about 30, 35, and gusting to fifty to fifty plus. One of our players, when it got called 50. on a par, yeah, on a par five, hit it to the very back of the green, and it sat in the fringe, and then a gust blew, and it rolled it all the way off the front, rolled the literally the entire length of the green. And rolled off the front and caught the downhill false front and yeah probably changed ball position by about oh i don't know 50 yards <laughs> well i i interestingly enough i had to calculate at what green at what wind speed does a roll ball roll away off the green by itself because there's a year at the yep. masters if you remember when padraig harrington had an eagle putt on 15 on saturday or sunday and he put the ball down, grounded his club. There's a gust of wind, and it rolled away. And he got, yep. got back in those days. That was penalty stroke, so you already, already grounded your club, yep. right? And so, you know, they said, "What can you tell us at what wind speed that happens?" And the answer was, it depends a little bit on stimp, obviously, but generally yep. it's about 32 miles an hour. So at 30 miles an hour, the flag, you're in danger of losing your golf ball off the green. You know, like like I told you, man, the Porter John literally end over end going down the middle of the fairway. And I'm like, we're playing awesome. in this. <laughs> yeah. It, if it's too if it's we're too playing windy, in this. I always say if it's too windy for sailing, it's definitely too windy for golf. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. But that's that like, was uh, that's, a, that's yeah. a strong gale at fifty, I think. The Buford scale. That that was that yeah, I will I'll never forget that was a national championship that literally the wind's going. We played in the afternoon group. Uh, three holes in, we're like, well, we're done. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna, the we're gonna morning group went out with no wind. We're going to look at the <laughs> it was over. scale and see what 50 miles an hour wind is. Uh, um, it was not. So 50 miles an hour is what, like 40 knots or so? Yeah, right around there. That's a gale. It's a gale. Between yeah. a gale and a severe gale. <laughs> yeah, no, like, like I said, her ball literally came to rest. The greens weren't very fast. I mean, they were probably 9, 10. And I mean, it blew from the back of the green all the way down the whole front of the green, went through the fringe, caught the downhill, and just rolled down to the middle of the fairway. And we we're just like, and literally, they called it on that putt. They're like, done. done. Like, we can't play done. in these conditions. Gotta go. And I'm just like, Finished. but can she, re- she can't even replace that. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, I'm the green, yeah. right? I just gotta play it. It's like, fuck. Man, that is just crazy. That was a. Crazy, that was crazy. We were in Albuquerque, New Mexico. That was about the the craziest golf tournament I've ever been on. Just like extraordinary things going on around us. Like we had weather. It snowed. It hailed. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, they had snow in Albuquerque. Yeah. Well, it hadn't. Like when we checked the extended forecast going down, it hadn't rained in like eighty days. Like, Whoa. And then they, they projected it to be unbelievably gorgeous the whole time we were there. So we all brought 70 degree, 80 degree weather clothes. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. It it snowed. Yeah, no. <laughs> it yeah, no. Snowed. The wind was blowing, yeah, 35, 40, just 
nonstop. It's about 40 degrees outside with that. And it was miserable. I tell you what, miserable. the cold is the coldest place on the, in the world. Yeah. Yeah. No, and there's like a windy in the desert. 12, no, thank you. Yeah. There's like a 10 or 12 foot rattlesnake that like got in one of the portageons and it was, it was portageon literally going down the middle of the fairway. A weather called. So we rushed off to the buses like, you know, on the golf course for shelter. And they were like prison buses, like legit, like prison buses. It was, <laughs> Bars on the, it was the craziest tournament. Converted we're school this, buses. <laughs> yeah, we went downtown and ate dinner. And there was like a gang fight literally outside of the window where we're eating. Like 20 dudes just like fisticuffs going at it. Police come swarm. Like uh, the hotel we're at, somebody's tires got stolen from their sports car. And then the next morning we come out and there's a different car jacked up, tires stolen. Somebody shot into the hotel just randomly, oh. hit an old lady. I I mean, this was all in like five days. And we're just like, can we go? <laughs> Welcome to Albuquerque. We were out of it after day two. We were done. We're like, can you know we that go? that wasn't abnormal for Albuquerque, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Albuquerque is a hard town, man. It's it's a cool city, but it's a hard town, man. It's a hard town. All, yeah. we, we were in maze. You'd go into the, the CVS to get something and like, the lady behind the counter is all tatted up and like 70 years old and just looks mean. And you're like, oh, my goodness, where am I? <laughs> where am I? Oh, you're... I now I know why Bugs Bunny said I always should have taken a left in Albuquerque. I get exactly. it. <laughs> I, I completely understand him now. <laughs> like, you don't want to be there very long. No, it, there were some really cool. I really enjoyed some really cool parts of it, but it was. It's a tough town. It was a tough town. Yeah. Yeah. But, cool. Well, that I think that is all the topics I am willing to go over <laughs> today. <laughs> Perfect. Good um, big ones, well, though. We'll, yeah. I'm sure we'll get some more some more people commenting over the next day or so. Yeah, um, I think what we need to do for our next one, maybe we'll we'll send out the Game Forge and ask for maybe five or six good questions on data science and maybe yeah, some of the go. myths Definitely. inside of data science as well. But uh I guess we can wrap this up. We're probably about 35, 40 minutes. So I think we've blabbed on long enough. Uh, so uh, one thing I do want to tell anybody that's listening to this podcast, December one, two, three. Oh, I don't have cool. everything completely ironed out, but we are going to do a fun event here in Charlottesville. It'll be two person teams um, and it's going to be, you got to be 21 or older. It's going to be uh, a whiskey why, golf why event. Uh, we're going to do. 21 and above, we want you to be of age, but we're going to do a golf school on Friday on the 1st and then do a dinner and a tasting uh, that night. On Saturday, we're going to play 18 holes at Birdwood, which is a high-end golf course here in town. And then we're going to go do a whiskey uh, tour and tasting and bottle uh, from Virginia Distilling Company. And then uh, Sunday, we're going to play uh, a fun little kind of executive course where we're giving away bottles on every hole. And then we have a putting challenge coming up in the way. So everybody's going to be walking away with tons of opportunities to score lots of really good whiskey bottles. We're going to celebrate Virginia whiskey, uh, but be watching here in the next couple of days through social media, or if you have an interest, you can email me about more about it, but we're only going to have yeah, 12 teams. Limited so. to what are we limited to 20 people, 12 teams. 12, 12 teams, teams, 24 people. 24 people. 24 people. Brian I kind of hope both be there. I think Garrett's going to be there, maybe. Garrett's coming over. So I'm hoping only 20 golfers because I want to play in it. But if we get four, I'll, I'll have to step aside. So I'm, I might cut it early. But yeah, it'll be, I, and it's going to be a small, fun event. I'll play with you. It's going to be a small, fun event. That's right. And the beauty of it is we're going to go ahead and take this to Ireland uh, in 2024. Yes. And we might even try to take it and we might even try to take it to Kentucky and Bourbonville, yes. uh, maybe fall of 24. And then we, we have that. We have. Yeah, we have also have expansion ideas of getting into Scotland as well. Um, so really cool Ooh. stuff with that. So you like whiskey? You like golf? And golf. Yeah, you don't, you don't have even to like have us. to be good at golf. You don't you have, have to be to good like at drinking us. whiskey. You don't <laughs> have to be good at drinking whiskey. You just got to want to go out and have a good time. That's what this weekend's going to be about. So uh, be looking, uh, be looking for information on that. I am pumped up. Pumped it's going to be fun. I'm, you up. Yeah, I have an interview on Wednesday, uh, a podcast interview with a 
uh, master distiller or the blender out at uh, where we're going, the Virginia Distilling Company. And then in October, I have a group called Lost um, that's in Northern Virginia that makes a really good Virginia whiskey. Uh, we're going to have them on in the podcast as well. So cool right things growing on that and uh, fun stuff. All right, Mark, I'll let you take us out of here. All right. Got to roll. Thanks, everybody. That, By the way, that's why we both have – well, that's why – Brian always has his his uh, little pub behind him as a background. My background is a hotel room. So instead, I made it a cool <laughs> little whiskey uh, whiskey shelf with cool lights That's uh, right. in honor of our whiskey and golf event coming up. Um, but keep the good questions coming. Um, it's always good to hash it out and talk about a lot of these things, a lot of the, the nuances to the issues like wind and grain and straight putts and all that are, are lost on a lot of people unless you spend, you know, a zillion hours on the putting green like we do, um, whether we like it or not. <laughs> we've seen, we've kind of yeah, seen right. it all. We've kind of seen it all and had to figure it all out so that we could explain it cleanly to people who don't um, don't understand it uh, as well. So yeah. that's, you know, we're kind of forced to, sometimes it takes a while to figure it out, but that's kind of what we have to do. So happy to be and helpful. It, Hopefully it, you got, be some, careful. got some useful knowledge from that. Yeah, be careful on what people tell you when uh, celestial bodies or uh, certain areas guarantee that the ball's going in that direction. Just be careful. Yeah, be very, be careful about a lot of what you hear on TV too. Ooh, there's some bad stuff out there. Well, yeah, you just got to laugh at that. I that's why I like to usually cut the volume off and just watch the golf going and not really listen to the commentators. Because <laughs> yeah, anyways, that that could be a show in itself. <laughs> The commentators yeah, we should off. we should do outtakes the best outtakes <laughs> i think they'll be good, one, be good ones uh, in january hawaii will be great ones i think we need to do like the mystery 2000 Vegas. remember where they used to where they showed the really bad uh sci-fi movies and then they would voice over yeah i think Vegas, what we do Vegas, is we take a Vegas golf will have some great ones that's coming up soon and then october maybe yeah there's always crazy yeah, on that the, the, yeah that should be coming up pretty quick because golf season starts again it, like, started all, oh, we, it kind of started already. It's nuts. They don't ever yeah, get a break. We're the 24 season already. Yeah, no, it so makes weird. no sense. But all right. Thank you, everybody, for joining right, us. And we'll bring you some more shows here in the future. This has been a Fuel production.